So I used to run the chapel program at Northwestern College, or now it's called University of Northwestern St. Paul. And that was a pretty, it was a daily chapel. Uh, it was required attendance, so over a thousand students would gather every day for chapel. It was a pretty central piece of their college experience, and we even believed it was part of their educational experience. So we had real purpose to it, and it was a, like, a, again, it was this daily gathering. Can you imagine the whole campus coming together uh, at the same time every day? It was really a, a special time, and it was a great opportunity. I really felt blessed to be a part of it. I got a chance to coordinate over 2,000 chapels. That's a lot of chapels, all right? So 2,000 of those. But one of the more interesting memories, I had a lot of really cool memories, and if you ever want to hear about some really awesome people that I got to meet over the years and awesome chapel messages, one of my favorites, which was really interesting, and I thought of it as I was looking at this message today, was a chapel where I got the two most extreme responses to the same chapel, okay? The two most extreme responses to the same person who's up there speaking. And this is what they were. One student sat through the whole chapel saying to the person next to them, that's not true. That's not true. And then one of our student leaders, who was a, a senior and kind of more mature in his faith, came up to me afterwards and he said, that was the best chapel in the four years that I've ever heard. That was amazing, he said. And so I'm sitting there with this one person, that's not true, that's not true. And another person going, that was the most scriptural, just dripping in scripture message I've heard in my entire four years. Two people hearing the exact same thing. How does that happen? Well, we're going to see that a little bit in our text today. But before we get to that text, and I want you to keep that picture in mind, same message, two extreme responses to it. Let me just remind you where we're at in our passage today. And if you're visiting today, we're in the middle of a series called The Thread, where we're taking one passage from each book of the Bible, and we're showing how all of Scripture points us to Christ. Today we're going to be looking at a large section in the book of Acts, so I'm going to be reading it as we go. But if you do have your Bibles with you and you want to turn to Acts chapter 3, you can do that. But let me just kind of set the table for you. Jesus has died, he's risen from the dead, and now he's ascended back up to heaven. And he's filled his disciples with his Holy Spirit, and now they're bearing witness to the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead, and he's the only way to find forgiveness and salvation, and they're bearing witness to that in the community around them. And they're sharing this message. And people are hearing the same message, okay? This is what's important. They're hearing the same message, but are responding in two different ways. One is belief, one is unbelief. It's fascinating. So let's take a look, and we're going to unpack this this morning and, and see what God has for us, all right? So the first thing starts out in, in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. And I want you to use your imagination and think this through, what, what's happening now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid down daily at the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask for alms of those entering the temple. So seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. So they're going to their normal routine of going to the temple to pray. There's a man who's a beggar, and that's very common, and we see this throughout the New Testament, very common in that time. And they usually put them around like the temple or special places where there's a lot of traffic. And he's asking for alms. And he's been lame since birth. Verse 4. And Peter directed his gaze at him. Now just use your imagination. See the picture. They're going into the temple. There's this man laying there. And Peter turns and gazes at him. As did John and said, look at us. 
And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took up his and, and he took him by his right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk, entering the temple, get the picture now, entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And I got to tell you, this morning, and most of the time this doesn't happen to me, but, you know, I prepare this message throughout the week. This morning as I was reviewing it, all of a sudden it just hit me, verse 8. So I'm going to go on a brief tangent, but I think it's a beautiful, powerful tangent. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising. Anybody with us a few weeks back where we showed the, the calves up on the screen leaping around? Listen to Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who are... But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. There's the thread right there. Malachi chapter 4 verse 2 tells us that the Spirit's going to come and do these kinds of things, that people are going to be leaping and jumping just like the calves from the stall. And we showed a little video clip of a calf coming out of the stall for the first time, just jumping and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. This guy is jumping. He's not like, oh, wow, this is super cool. Looking at his ankles. and his, He's jumping around. He's going crazy. He's been there since birth. He has been lame since birth. And all of a sudden, these two guys come. I don't got any silver or gold, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. And he wasn't going to just stand up and walk. He was leaping and jumping and praising God for what had happened. So here they are, just heading to the temple to pray. But what they do is they focus in on Jesus. This is the part that's important here. They say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Peter doesn't say, hey, I'm an apostle, and I got some pretty good stuff here. I got some power. Jesus said, I give you all power in heaven and earth is in the sun, and so I'm giving you that power as you leave. It wasn't about Peter and John having this great power. It was that Jesus had great power. And when the man was healed, he was praising God, and he was filled with wonder and amazement. You know, I, I still think that one of the great spiritual disciplines that we struggle with, at least I think in northern, not necessarily northern Minnesota, Scandinavian Minnesota, where I grew up from anyway, is the discipline of celebration. Being able to celebrate when God does amazing things. When was the last time God did something amazing in your life, and you just wanted to shout it? You just wanted to tell everybody this thing was amazing. And what we tend to do is like, I grew up actually, like, I probably shouldn't say anything because it might be prideful and then something bad's going to happen to humble me, right? Oh, how did that happen? You know, how did we get thinking like that? They were celebrating and rejoicing, wonder and amazement because of this thing that God had done. And then it says in verse 11, I like the picture, and while he clung to Peter and John, he's celebrating, he's dancing, he's jumping around. People are going, that's the guy that was out at the temple. And he's just like, I'm going wherever Peter and John are going. And all the people were utterly astounded, verse 11. And they ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And so here they are in the temple. There's a little bit of chaos going on. And this is probably a good, like, proper environment that all of a sudden now you've got this guy jumping around, 
bringing all this noise. He's sticking with Peter and John. People are recognizing it, seeing it. A crowd is gathering. And when people saw the crowd gathering, or excuse me, when Peter saw the crowd gathering, this is what he said. Verse 12. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Think about the thread. Then this is what he says. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. He makes this powerful statement that the God of our God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of the Old Testament, who had sent the patriarchs and had sent King David and sent all the prophets, that God now has sent Jesus. And he's glorified his servant Jesus. He, he has lifted him up and magnified him. And you killed him. Think about that for a moment. All this great commotion, all this gathering, you think he might have had a little better message or a little softer message, right? He doesn't. He says, listen, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, and you delivered him over to be killed. Pilate was ready to release him. He's calling him out. He's not letting this just slide. And then he says this in verse 14. But you denied the holy and righteous one, and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. So the crowd is gathered, okay? This miracle has happened. People are going, whoa, where'd this come from? He's making it clear it's not Peter or John. It's not us. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And this is what you did to him. And this is who he is. Now, here's one of those places, too, we have to slow down and just kind of plant here in verse 14 for just a moment because there's some powerful pictures of the character and nature and attribute of Jesus right here. And what happens in the narratives, you guys, and these are the ones that are stories, not just letters or teachings. The stories, we get going and we're reading along and we're trying to stay up with the thread of the story and we miss some of the really rich and important stuff here. And, and here we have three things that we learn about who God is and who Jesus is. Three parts of his character and nature and attribute. Now, it's going to be very familiar to many of us, but we can't just race past this. In verse 14, he says, but you denied the Holy One. This one is holy, completely perfect, sinless, no imperfection of any degree, of any sort. He is completely holy and perfect. This is Jesus. One who walked here on the earth and walked in complete holiness. Never wavered from perfection, never wavered from temptation, never wavered towards sin. He is completely holy. And he's saying, you denied the one who was holy. You, you say you worship God and you say that he's holy, but then he sends his son who is holy and you denied him. And so it's really important that we grab this little picture of who Jesus is and he is completely holy. And he says, you denied one who was perfect, perfection. And then you denied the Holy One and the Righteous One. Now, I've tried to kind of explain this several times in different uh, messages, but I'm going to try to do it again today, and I, I hope that it continues to kind of get deep in our th thoughts and our hearts. This is the difference between the holiness, the perfection, and then the righteousness. Okay? So he's holy, he is perfect, but he's more than that. He's actually 
right in all that he does, everything moving forward in the good that he does and the execution of living out life, he is more than just resisting things and acting in a holy way. He is acting in a perfectly right way. Righteousness is just the rightness of Jesus. It's so hard to even explain it, but it's not just that I need to be holy. I need to be righteous as well. I got kind of a double whammy as a human being because I can't be holy, and I also can't do all the right things. So I'm going to do some of the wrong things, which makes me unholy, and I'm not going to do all the right things that's going to make me not righteous enough. And Jesus is both of those things, completely perfect and holy and completely righteous. All the rightness and goodness Everything that is right and good is, so his list is piled high with goodness as well as having resisted badness, for lack of a better way to say it. So he's completely holy and he's completely righteous and they ask for a murderer to be let go. And then he says this, and you killed the author of life. He's also the one who brings life. He speaks life. He's the author of life. So they denied the one who was holy and righteous. They release the murderer, and they kill the one who creates life. And then he says, God raised him from the dead. Just another important side note here. As we look at his holiness and his righteousness and that he's the author of life, this is one of the doctrines that makes human life so precious and why it is so important that we are people who stand up for life of all stages, of all people, because God has given them that life. Jesus has given you and I life. Every life that has come into being has come into being through the power of Jesus. He's the author of that life. And so he's holy and righteous and the one who speaks forth and we come into being. And what Peter is trying to say to these guys, he goes, listen, this one, holy, righteous, and he spoke, and you came into being, and then you went and killed him. And it was supposed to be a place that would cut to the heart. It was supposed to be a place that made you go, oh, wait a minute. That is, like, totally profoundly wrong. <laughs> totally profoundly screwed up. The one who authored life and who's done nothing but right and good and who's completely holy, we killed him. And then he goes on and says this, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Verse 16, he's saying this one, holy, righteous, author of life, this one who is the one who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were leading to and all the prophets leading to, this is the one who's made this man strong. Make no mistake about who has done this. They want to be absolutely clear to those who are watching. His name and faith in his name is what healed this man. This is the work of Jesus. This is what Christ does. And they are saying, look, this is evidence. And now Peter softens just a little bit because the people are listening, right? The crowd, the chapel, it's full. People are listening. And now, brothers... I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, verse 17. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, there we are again with our thread, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. 
Then he says, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Now, if, you, if you've lost me this morning, this is like my favorite piece right here. Verse 19 and 20. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Man, he, he's saying, I got a message for you now. You did some of this out of ignorance, and the prophets were told that the Christ was going to come and suffer. Now repent, repent of your sin, turn and go another direction, and turn and go back, and guess what God does? This is the good news. This is why I love being a preacher, right? Because I got good news for you this morning. He's going to blot out your sin. And just think of just this week. I'm going to pass out a little sheet and have everybody write down what God puts on your heart about your sins this week, right? Well, let's go back a month. Let's go a little farther back. Guess what the good news is? He's blotted that out. If I handed out that for you to do, he'd send a big blot <laughs> and say, you can't do that. And I might get zapped for that, right? Because I can't do that. I'd be the accuser. Now, the good news of this is that when we repent and turn, he blots it out with a big ink blotter so that you can't see. It's redacted. If you are into shows like that where you see the, you know, the report that comes out that's redacted, he's redacted all of it. And not only that, not only has he blotted out your sin, he's having you turn so you can be refreshed. A refreshing that comes from the presence of the Lord. How great is that? You and I need refreshing from time to time, most of the time. And he will take us and turn us so that the sin that is causing all the havoc, we can turn and go another direction and be refreshed by him. Sin never refreshes, right? Sin only destroys. Now, it confuses us because we think we're being refreshed when we're in it. We think it's going to give us something. But we don't get anything from it. It just gives us, drags us deeper down. But turning and going Christ's way, there is a refreshing and a liberation. You all know that I've worked at a you know, recovery center with guys with drug and alcohol addiction. And when they are recovering and turning and going another, you know the refreshing that is in it? It's so awesome to work with them because you can see this refreshing so evident in their life. And then I've had guys that would relapse, and when they would come back in, they were just totally different people and were just a wreck. And to see them in that state and then to see them turn and be refreshed by the Lord, man, it's amazing. It's a miracle. And we've experienced that too. We don't have to go as far as addiction, right? We can just look at our own lives and say, guess what? He's doing that in my life. Now, maybe you're like me where you came to know Christ at a young age and you were living fairly faithful in your life as best you could. You didn't have maybe some major, major things that sometimes we talk about major and minor, which they aren't really that way. But, you know, we, we kind of think like we did pretty good. And then he helps you look back and he helps you to see the attitudes of your heart and sees the things that you have done. And you go, oh, all of us are in the same boat. There's nobody who's in a better boat or not when it comes to the need for refreshing from our sin. And he blots it out, and we can turn and be refreshed from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? And heaven has received him back, 
but this is where it all comes from. The Lord who's now gone back up into heaven, and he's going to return at some, time, at some point until the time for restoring all things about which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. There'll be a time when he comes back and he restores it all. And then he takes us on the thread again in verse 22. Moses said, now we're going back and we're going to see how the teachings of Moses are connected here. You see how he's talking to these people that understood the Old Testament but didn't understand it? They knew it and had knowledge, but they didn't understand it. So now he's teaching them through it. And he says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is verse 22. And you shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And, that sh and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken, <laughs> talk about the thread, from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers when he said to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So the results of the covenant that God made with Abraham are being played out right in front of our eyes here in Acts chapter 3. The part of the blessing of blessing all the families of the earth. And it's being fulfilled in Jesus. And Jesus will turn, he says, turn you from your wickedness. Now, that's a pretty powerful message. And we could just leave it right there. But we want to see the rest of the story. And here's the craziness of the rest of the story. So just think about what we just said. And then let's turn the page to Acts chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. So they're out preaching to all these people that had gathered. The religious leaders now are coming upon them, and I just like verse 2, I don't know why, but greatly annoyed, okay? They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, and they put them in custody. Talk about two different reactions. They arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Two responses, saw the same event, heard the same words, belief and unbelief. There's always two responses. They were annoyed because of their teaching. They were annoyed because they were proclaiming the name of Jesus. The very one that these religious leaders, these are the same people who had just killed Jesus recently. These are the same leaders that had decided and put the gavel down and said, this is what we're going to do with Jesus. And they were annoyed because these men were saying that Jesus had risen from the dead. But over 5,000 people came to faith. So they're going to prison. The 5,000 people, over 5,000, because usually when it says men here, uh, unfortunately in the, that time they would kind of count things that way. But if you add women and children, many think about 15,000 people came to faith that day. So good day or bad day? Which is it? Pretty good day, isn't it? They're going to jail, bad day, but 15,000 people came to faith in Christ. Two different responses, same message. On the next day, it says, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in, in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John the Alexandrian and all who were of the high priestly family. These are the same ones at the trial of Jesus. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? 
And then verse 8. And if you're familiar with Peter's story, just think back. The guy who stood there in the courtyard and a young girl says to him, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? Not me. Nope, not me. Three times he does that. Now, filled with the Holy Spirit, what it says in verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, just look at the change, the boldness. Now filled with the Holy Spirit, he stands up and says, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. No hesitation by Peter. If this is what you're talking about today, he says, then let me tell you what happened. By the name of Jesus. And then, see the thread again, verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now the very ones who have condemned Jesus are now examining Peter. Peter's filled with the Spirit and with this great boldness. He, he tells them clearly that it was Jesus who did this miracle. And then he tells them something farther, that it's Jesus is the only way by which we might be saved. Listen to Isaiah 28, 16. Think about the thread again and the stone, the cornerstone. Listen to what Isaiah said about this stone. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Whoever believes what I'm about to do and going to do, well, now they're going to get to see it happening right in front of him. And he says, this is the cornerstone that it's all built on, that there is no other name in the entire universe by which anyone can be saved. There is no other higher or important name than the name of Jesus. That's why, even as we talk, you guys, I just want to challenge us and remind us that it's Jesus we're focusing on. God the Father wants to be glorified through the uplifting of Jesus the Son. And there's other passages we could look at to, to prove that and verify that. But as much as we talk about God, that sometimes becomes this kind of neutral concept that we talk about amongst people so we don't offend anybody. But God really wants us to talk about Jesus. It's Jesus who has come to do all this. Jesus is the cornerstone. And it's in Jesus by which, in the name of Jesus, we're going to be saved. There is no other name by which we can be saved. There is no salvation in no one else. There is no other name anywhere by which you can be saved. And we need to stand firmly and boldly on this truth. This is the truth that we can never waver from. This is the truth that we have to be willing to die for. Just like Peter and John were willing to die for. Why? Why do we have to stand firmly on that? So that we can feel good about being right? Sometimes that's what people think, but that's not why. Or to declare ourselves to be on the right team or to have better knowledge than others. No. This is why this is so serious. Because it's true. And if it's true, and I believe it's true, the most loving thing we can do is to declare it and point 
people to the only name that will save them. If there is a medication over here that would heal your cancer, and I knew it, and I had it, but I didn't want to tell you because you might not like it. I didn't want to tell you because it's too much work. I didn't want you fill in the blank why I didn't want to tell you. Is that loving? And then you suffer and die? You see, the good news of the gospel is that there is a way. Now, here's what happens sometimes, you guys. We wrestle with, I wish there was more than one way. Have you ever been there? Have you ever thought, I just wish there was more than one way? Instead of going, there's a way. <laughs> Praise God, there's a way. There could be no way. You see the difference? There could be no way. Sometimes we're over here going, man, I don't know. I just wish there was a lot of different routes to them because that would just be so much easier and everybody would be more happy because they want to take their own route. Same thing in the Bible. Same thing in Jesus' day. Same thing with the religious leaders of the day. They wanted to do it their way. Go their route. Do their own thing. All they had to do is go, there's a way. And here he is. Oh, I just got to put my faith in him. That's it. Not what happened. <laughs> Two responses. 5,000 men, 15,000 men, women, and children put their faith. Religious leaders dig in even deeper. And this is what they do. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter, verse 13, and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astounded. How could this be from these guys? And then they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They were like, uh, I can't really deny this because there he is, you know. And I love that part because Jesus, you know, through the spirit, and you know, he puts people in a corner where they have their true thoughts are going to come out. And there they are looking, well, we can't really deny it. But they deny it. They see him there and they go, okay, let's have a strategy about how to get around this situation. Instead of going, it's true, Jesus is real. They don't do that. But seeing the man who was healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. So they sent Peter and John out. What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Oh, sometimes I read this stuff, and I'm just like, we cannot deny it, but we're going to try to deny it. And you're like, come on. But in order that it may be spread no further among the people, let us warn them not to speak and to speak no more to anyone in, in his name. That's their solution. Not repentance, not turning to a season of refreshing. They said, how do we stop this from going any farther? So they called them and charged them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And there's Peter and John. John who ran off in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter who denied Jesus three times. Now stands in front of these men who could decide to kill them. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you can judge that. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. They couldn't deny the miracle. They tried to deny its source. They threatened the man, and the men said, I'm sorry, but we're going to keep doing this. 
They threatened them and told them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus, but they said they cannot but speak about what they have seen and heard. It would be lying and dishonest for us to speak in any other way than what we have seen. It's an amazing story, isn't it? A story that should give us some hope and some encouragement because the key to this story was the power of the Holy Spirit working through these men. Oh, did I say that these were ordinary, uneducated, common men? Back in verse 13. Ordinary people that the Spirit of the living God takes and does something with. Look yourself in the mirror. I hate to tell you that, but look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm an ordinary person <laughs> with an extraordinary God who wants to do extraordinary things in and through my life. And then you might be blessed as I have been blessed, and I think you have because we see it around here, but maybe you've seen it other places. When you see God do that and people you know, I have seen some man, my grandmother, eighth grade education, little 80 acre farm. Every time she'd go to the hospital, she was sickly my whole life. I'd see her and I'd go, Grandma, who'd you share the gospel with in the hospital? And she'd tell me, <laughs> you know, the nurses, the doctors, she was at Mayo all the time, and the nurses and doctors and everybody heard the gospel over and over from her. And when she died, they came to her funeral and heard the gospel some more, right? Ordinary, regular people. So what do I want you to do with this today? What are the takeaways as we close? First, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is real, tangible power in the name of Jesus. And the power is demonstrated as God sees fit and done for his glory. So the question we sometimes wrestle with is, why does it seem like in different parts of the world God uses his power in different ways? I'm not going to answer that today. It appears that today those demonstrations of power are displayed differently in different parts of the world, but all for the glory of God. And so when you're thinking like, wow, I've heard of this great miraculous thing that happened in some faraway country. It doesn't seem to happen here. Let's not wrestle with that. Let's just say God wants to work in and through us. The power of his name is the same power all over the world. He's just choosing to use it in different ways. And so looking for the glory of the power of what he's done sometimes, and maybe he's using something that you're like, oh, that just seemed like a common thing. I've had life-threatening surgery before in my life, and to know that the surgeon's hand was as skilled and as talented as he was, even though he wasn't a believer, I'm going, that's a pretty cool miracle by God. <laughs> because what happened to me 100 years ago, I would have been dead at 30 years old. 100 years ago, they didn't have that surgery. And I'm looking at that going, that's Jesus working in my culture, in my time, my place. And another place, somebody might have prayed over me and it might have been healed. I don't know, but I'm giving him the credit for that one. So there's power in the name of Jesus. So let's remember that and live in that. Second, the Holy righteous one who is the giver of life was raised from the dead by the power of God he was holy and he was righteous and he was the giver of life and God raised him up from the dead power to raise from the dead is the ultimate greatest demonstration of power in the universe we get so used to it if we're followers of Jesus we forget just how amazing this is that Jesus has the power over death 
And he raised people, he, God raised Jesus from the dead so that we know that our life isn't going to be finite, it is infinite. And so even when I die, he has defeated death and I will be with him. But here's the point, we've got to remember that, we've got to hold on to that tightly. He is the giver of life and he is, has the power over life and death. And not just to be go, oh yeah, that's Jesus, we know that. That is, that is crucial and central to the gospel. Third, that we can repent and turn from our sin and we'll experience a time of refreshing. This is just such awesome news to me. Listen, if repentance leads to guilt and shame, we've misunderstood it. If it doesn't lead to refreshing, it's not really what it's supposed to be doing. We're living under guilt and shame. We're trying to figure a way how to kind of process it instead of going, all right, I repent, I need your help, and ah, forgiveness, the blotting out of my sin and my transgressions as far as the east is from the west. Fourth, I pray that you'll take away and stand firmly. Salvation can be found in no one else but Jesus. It's not loving to waver on this truth. It's serious. People's eternal existence, their eternal destinies, destination of their eternal soul relies on this. Salvation can be found in no one else. There's no other way to be saved. And finally, the truth that salvation can be found in no one else must be declared regardless of what leaders and authorities say. You know, there's a lot of questions we run into sometimes about where is the place and the time to resist governing authorities? Well, one thing we know for clear, very clearly and very sure, is that when we're told that we cannot declare that Jesus is the only way to the Father. The truth that salvation can be found in no one else has to be declared regardless of what authorities say, regardless of what those around us. What would I be willing to go to prison for? That. I'll go for that. Listen, I'm going to close with this. I think this is a great encouragement. The cornerstone, Jesus, was crucified, but God raised him from the dead and empowered us now with the Holy Spirit to bear testimony to the world. Isn't that good news? Crucified, raised from the dead, now we're empowered with his spirit to bear witness to the world, to share that wherever we go.